Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. The One Tough Mother Podcast. The One Tough Mother Show is real talk with special guests, including industry leaders, celebrities, and amazing women who've overcome adversities to work their way to the top and are willing to share their real life lessons. Remember, you don't have to be a mother to be one tough mother. It's all about you. Welcome to the One Tough Mother Show. We're here this week and we haven't, I think this is probably going to be the biggest show yet, especially for me. Because I'm such a crazy person about the sun, the moon, the stars, blah, 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 blah. That's a little hint. But we have a crazy, crazy guest this week. Um, Amazing, in fact. This woman is, I've spoken to her a couple of times now um, by email. And she's just kind and and very, very, very um, willing to help and be honest. And I just, I really can't get over that she's going to be on our show. Seth was so excited. He was to the moon. About it. Anyway, I want to welcome uh, American Cobalt Aqua Farms. They are our sponsor. They are the best sponsor you ever wanted because <laughs> they have delish fish. That's what I call it, delish fish. It's delish a, fish. It's, it's amazing. It's a superfood with omega-3 and omega-6 protein and collagen. And actually, I think I read somewhere that four ounces of this arapaima, which is, believe me when I tell you, it's fresh in this country. They have big fish farms in this country. I've been to them there immaculate they're awesome and four ounces of this fish is 20 grams of protein wow yeah and it's clean i mean they they have they they do nothing but eco-friendly sustainable aquaculture um it's an all-natural fish they so not never... only get healthy get strong yes yeah you know i would i would eat this fish over and you know i love steak you know that oh yeah Ugh. you're a real steak and potatoes lady. i'm a snow potatoes just steak oh, really? i love steak but this fish was delicious it's uncompromised it's never been exposed to antibiotics vaccinations hormones um chemicals heavy metals uncontrollable environmental factors because i was there it's right there at the farms they this is two- a big fish right it's big. It gets like mm. six feet, dude, and like 200 pounds. And the fillets are big and thick and white and, and flaky. And it's just, it's really delicious. I loved it to death. And I had a dear friend of mine make it who's a, a chef. And she's like, this is a chef's dream. This is a really versatile fish. No fishy smell, nothing about it. It's American cobalt. Yeah. No fishy smell. Mm. American cobalt aqua farms. Um, their number is 973 300 0485 mm. 973-300-0485. Or and they have an aquaculturist there 24 hours a day if you have any questions about it. It's American Cobalt Aqua Farms. Go online and look at them. American Cobalt 
aquafarms.com. We love you. We love your fish. And Seth, I know I didn't bring any yet, but I'm going mm-hmm. to. I'm not even asking anymore. I know, I know. It's like the t-shirt thing. You I brought the cookies, get, though. I get you the t-shirt, and now it's the fish situation. But thank you, American Cobalt Aqua Farms. Arapaima. Say that. Arapaima. Very good. He's getting good at that. I'll Arapaima. 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 Very delicious fish. And in the meantime, how'd your week go? Oh, you know, I was, I was thinking, like, oh my God, what am I going to talk about? I Wait, can't did remember. you see Black Panther? No, we couldn't. Uh, we couldn't uh, get it together. We're gonna maybe go this weekend. It's sold out shows. Babysitter. My brother's family got sick, so we could. We have a lot. We have to do a lot to get go to the movies. Yeah, well, there's we a just lot get up of and go you to the movies. people. Yeah. Us people. Yeah, we can't just go to the movies. Right, because you said you were gonna go see it, and I was gonna get your feedback on it. I've heard great things. We're gonna go see it. Um, first and foremost, it's a Marvel movie. You know, everyone's getting caught up in the, the the cast and this and that. It's like it's a I'm, it's a Marvel. I'm in. That's all I have to hear is Marvel. I'm right. in. I don't right. care what color the cast is. I don't care what planet they're from. I, what country they live in. I don't care. I'm right. going. Right, right. If it's right. Marvel, I'm there. So, but I, you hear great things about the movie. I just hope it's not oversold and overhyped. But I'm sure it's gonna be. It, I like all of. I even like the bad ones. People say this one's bad. There was one that was really bad. It was X Men United? I think it was the third one. Terrible. But. I'm not that picky with the superhero movies. I like to see superheroes kick ass. So. Well, well, Christine, our, our artist, you know, our graphic artist went, and she said it was killer. She loved it. And she's like, you know. These movies get better and better because of the technology, too. Oh, yeah. And, and they make so kidding? much money that they attract great actors as well. So you can't, really can't miss. You can't lose with these movies. I know. They really do it well. They do it right. And hopefully uh, DC will catch up to Marvel. And again, Justice League wasn't bad. It gets, it was, I enjoyed it. Well, Marvel's like in. First in wins in any. No. DC Mar- was first with Superman, Batman. They just they dropped the ball a little bit some places. But oh, they got wow. Time. I didn't realize that. They got time to pick up. Yeah, there's two universes. Two separate, uh, two big time companies. No, I knew there was two companies, but I thought Marvel was before DC. No, I don't think so. I think Superman was first. Mm. Or Batman or one of them. I can't remember. Okay, anyway, well- I'm, I'm there with that. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, my wife is pregnant. And she has cravings for, you saw this online, she's cravings for octopus. So that you, was so disgusting to me. <laughs> so you go buy octopus at a store, like an octopus salad. It's just a salad with octopus on top, and it's like 20 bucks. No, I eat octopus, but I didn't like looking at that picture. Oh, because it was like the whole thing. That was it. If I chopped that up, and, but I made that real quickly, and I just I was going to do something else to it after that. I put it in my Instant Pot. You know what an Instant Pot is? No. I it's just, like I a high-end um, pressure cooker. Oh, it works real quick. So I, I found a recipe online. Said throw it in there. I threw a bunch of herbs and spices in there and the, covered it with water. Ten minutes later, I cut it up. She's like, "This is delicious." I'm like, "Good, I'm done." Oh, but you know what Seth? It, it looked, looked like to me. It, it I didn't raw, realize that right? was your. That it was looked cooked. like it was in ink. Oh no, that's the color of the octopus. If you, you know what they do to get rid of that color, they grill it. That's what it said. The recipe to grill it afterwards. Oh, that's what they do. I didn't grill it. I just we just ate it afterwards. It was it was good. Was it chewy, chewy, chewy? No, that's, you know, we wouldn't. I would have cooked it more if it was chewy. It wasn't. It was soft and tender. You know, in, in restaurants when they really want to, you know, have it perfect, they cook it for like two or three hours in the pot. This instant pot, like, is you know, it's like a pressure cooker, so it right. makes things a little faster. It was good, and I I, I put a picture online, and uh, Karen saw it. Uh, yeah, it had the whole legs and everything. So, it was, but she has a craving for octopus, and I, I'd rather go buy it and make it myself. It's cheaper than than 
you know, getting like a one lay, you know, one tentacle for twenty bucks. It looked like you were like at a, a you know, like a aquarium, and you took a picture through the <laughs> through the glass. Of There's something. no head on it or anything. So I didn't do all that. You could do that. You could buy them whole and you know do all that, cut it and. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Yeah, me, yeah. No. But next time you make it, let me try it. Bring me a piece in. Sure. You know, reason because... As soon as I try the arapaima. Arapaima, yeah, no. same thing. Um, when we, um, when I've had it, I've had it, and I love, I, I like it, actually, in seafood salads and so on. You either get it so it's so chewy, it's we, disgusting. Well, they're, not, they're not preparing it well. Or it's really delicious. Like, right. it's like one or the other. It's really crummy. But so yours was, like, really nice and yeah, tender. Yeah, it was. Wow. All right. Maybe I have to get... It's like uh, butter. Like butter, Was Karen. it like butter? Like butter. Oh, no, I'm like clumped about you. Thank <laughs> you. Um, maybe I should get... In, should I get mailman or your mom the Instapot? Didn't, well, then, uh, then Melissa told me that she read somewhere like they're blowing up or something. I, I got like, some mind. kind of recall nope, on it. Nope. Yeah. I'm not getting one. <laughs> I, I got to look at that again before I use it. I've only used it a couple times. Yeah. That's... Oh, I got sucked into Black Friday. I was like, oh, it's usually this, 100 bucks, and you can have it for 50. I'm like, oh, I'm in. Yeah, you're in, of course. Dummy. Yeah. Uh, marketer's dream. That's what I say about you. Do they? I'm nice. Yeah. Get your moments. You know, I'm not buying a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. We're trying to be minimalists. Yes. Oh, you have a lot of bunch of kids hanging around and you got one more coming mm. how's that all going does does everybody understand well does your daughter's too little right no she knows she gets it does she get it yeah baby oh like you know what you're right how when she's is she's almost two and a half because my granddaughter Bryn Bryn or Bryn Bryn, Bryn. is two and she'll be three in May so she gets it yeah. that Katie's having another yeah so yeah, of course. Oh, she gets it. She gets it until the baby gets here, and oh, jealous she's gonna punch him in the face. <laughs> yeah. She's tough. She's rough around the edges. Yeah, she's the only girl though, dude. Yeah, that's like, not why. The boys are soft. She's just born that way. No, I'm just saying. Like Lady you're Gaga. Lucky it's gonna be your only girl. Yeah. Hey, take her to Heather. Heather the Heat that was here. Let her give her some training. Some, oh, that's going down. Some real definitely training. Definitely looking into the jujitsu. Yeah. Yeah. Well, today's show we have this amazing guest, and let me tell you something. When she responded to my um, email, I was like, yo, I was so excited. Um, she's a professional chemist, just so you know. She's an emergency room physician, a wife, a mother of two, and believe it or not, she was also the first astronaut ever, ever in space that was a mother. Wow. She was an astronaut, man. I mean, she's like been an astronaut all this time. Like she still does a ton of stuff with them. But to me, that was like to go into space. That's cool. I know. I, I mean, we were we're super excited to have her here. You know, she slept with the stars, and I don't mean celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> she slept. This is one large step for the One Tough Mother show. This is huge. This is one large step. You're right. Yeah. But I'm so excited. We have Dr. Anna Lee Fisher here. And um, I've spoken to her, like I said, a few times by email. And she's just the nicest person and very humble. And just, uh, I, I'm just in all of, first of all, to be a professional chemist takes some big brains. Absolutely. I did really bad in chemistry. In I'm school. shocked. Shut up. And then you're an emergency room doctor. That, that right there, you got to have some guts or like to play with some guts, either one. Ew. All right, shut up. And then you're the uh, you're a mother of two and you go into space. Oh, crazy, incredible. So when we get back, we're going to have Dr. Annalie Fisher on our show. And we can't wait for you to talk to her. She's the first female astronaut ever in space that was a mother. She a one tough mother. <laughs> we'll be right back. 
the One Tough Mother podcast. Real talk with amazing women who have worked their way to the top and want to share their real life lessons with you. Wow. And today, like I said earlier in the intro, we have Dr. Anna Lee Fisher, who I'm just in awe of. I think she's just a, a wonderful human being in everything that she's done. Thank you so much, Dr. Fisher. And I know you said call you Anna. I feel like oh, I feel privileged to do that. Thank you so much for being on our show. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for asking me. Oh, you're welcome. And you were born up. You were born in New York, right? That's where we're at. We're I York. actually was, but you know, it's kind of a funny story. I don't know how much time we have, oh, but yeah. you know. My father was in the military, so he went on to Fort Riley, Kansas, while my mom stayed with my grandmother, who lived in New York City. And so for years and years, my mom told me, and my one of my birth certificates she gave me shows that I was born in St. Albans, New York. Well, so I wrote that on all my applications for college, for the medical school, the astronaut program, my passport and everything. And I really didn't know exactly where St. Albans, New York was, <laughs> because I was just a baby. We left when I was like two or three weeks old. So anyway, years later, I'm watching the Today Show, and every day they're interviewing each of the, the hosts at the time, and one day it was Al Roker, who said he was born in Queens and was showing everybody around Queens. And then they showed a little piece of Wikipedia, and they said other people that were born in Queens, New York, was Annalie Fisher, Annalie Tingle Fisher. (laughs) And I cracked up because I go, so years later, just accidentally watching the Today Show, but as a result of being an astronaut, I guess they had me on Wikipedia. I found out where I was truly born. Oh, boy, that's crazy. And so your dad was military, Army, Navy, Air Force? He was Army. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. And uh, served 20 years and then uh, got out when he was very young and started a second career with McDonnell Douglas uh, in California. So that's where we wound up after um, in eighth grade. Um, eighth grade was my 13th school, if you can wow. believe that. Yeah, I believe it because we, I came from military. So we were Army. We have um, we have everything covered. My uh, brother was Army. My father was Army. My other brother was Air Force and my nephew Right now is a um, Marine, so oh, well, we, we covered all bases. <laughs> my colleagues in the astronaut office are <laughs> all military folks, so <laughs> I, I, deal with, I dealt with that for many, many years. So tell me about your childhood. Like, Anna, like, was, was this all kind of, like, pre-planned? You sound like, just by reading everything I've read about you, that you're one of those people that kind of, like, had a, a, a vision of where you were going. Well, you know, it's interesting because, as I said, I grew up in the military. Uh, My parents met in Berlin after the war. That's a long story to go into, but my mom and my grandmother are from Germany, but my grandmother had emigrated to the United States and was a U.S. citizen long before World War II. Um, But my mom uh, had gone back to Germany to be with her grandmother, who raised her and got trapped over there during World War II. So that's a whole long story. But anyway, um, so my mom came up through the German system, which means that um, at around eighth grade, you choose whether you're going to go on to college or whether you're going to get a a technical kind of um, education, which is what she chose. So my mom had never been to college. My dad joined the Army when he was 17, got his GED, um, and... um, I mean, like I said, they met after the war in Berlin, and but neither one of them had been to college. So I was the first person in my family to, to even want to go to college, and 
I remember being in second grade when we were stationed at Fort Benning, Georgia. People would ask me what I wanted to do when I grew up, and I really didn't know for sure, but I was good at math and science, and I, I remember saying I want to go to college. Oh. I mean, even at that young of an age, I realized that education was a key to success, and I was good at math and science, and I don't think my mom and my dad quite knew what to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> They kind of had this anomalous child um, that loved math and science and was good at it and did well in school and everything. And, um, but they were so supportive. Well, know, holy cow, never... lady. I mean, when you wanted to go to college, you went to college. You went for, like, chemistry, and that that in itself is is crazy to me. Well, it was, you know, it took... It took a while to get there, actually. I mean, I was studying math and science, as I said. My mom um, was, was always extremely supportive, but she really didn't know how to help me because she had never been through the U.S. educational system, nor had my dad. Um, so, uh, And my family didn't have a lot of money. So I applied to one college, UCLA, and if I had not gotten in, I did not really have a good backup <laughs> plan. Um, and they helped me you know, apply for financial aid, and I got scholarships and so forth. But I started out in math, and I wasn't, I loved math, but I wasn't sure how what I was going to do with it. I really wasn't in, didn't think I was great enough to be a great mathematical mind and get a PhD in math. And, um, and I kind of um, wound up taking some science classes and chemistry, uh, I mean, some early science classes, and then a lot of my friends, wound up being in chemistry, so I kind of gravitated towards chemistry, and um, found it very difficult at first, <laughs> but really worked hard and finally, you know, grasped it and and um, finally decided to major in chemistry. But then, as I did a under NSF undergraduate research fellowship, I had a wonderful research advisor, but I saw him spending so much of his time writing grant proposals and you know, needing to get money from all the different agencies that give money for research. And I just knew that was not going to be my forte, right. um, spending my time doing that um, as much as I love chemistry. So, and I, and I, plus I, I, I missed working with people too. I mean, I love, I love math and science, but I also love people. So that's where, where I decided to go to medical school. But I made my decision extremely late, so I didn't even get into medical school the first time I applied. I was on the waiting list. So I got to spend a year uh, going to graduate school in chemistry, which was really fun. I got to be a TA. I got to experience what that was like. Plus, I think it really helped me get selected as an astronaut later on. Um, but then I got into medical school the, the second year I applied. So. And so you chose a really tough part of medical school. Like you were, you're an you were an emergency room doctor, like an emergency doctor, right? Yes, I. Uh, well, I wanted to go into emergency medicine, and I and I was back in those days. Emergency medicine was not a boarded specialty; it became a boarded specialty um, a, a few years later. Um, I actually wanted to go into surgery and was accepted in the surgery program at the hospital that I was training at which was a county hospital in Los Angeles affiliated with UCLA. But at that, then I found out about the um, the NASA program and that NASA was looking for astronauts. So I decided to take a year to just 
my husband and I decided to take a year to practice medicine and wait to see what happened rather than taking a spot in a training program from someone else and then and then leaving if I got accepted, although I realized the chances of getting accepted were slim. Nonetheless, I wanted to put my whole focus into that. Plus, working in emergency medicine for a year had us earn a little bit more money so that we could pay off some right. of our, our loans because we were both uh, paying for our own way through uh, under uh, graduate school and then medical school. No, wait, you both went into the space program at the same time? We both applied at the same time. My husband was the one who actually heard about it um, from one of my friends in my medical school who was an intern. He was a year ahead of us, so he was a resident. And we both applied. Um, I was accepted the first time he oh. wasn't. Um, and he was he was selected in the 80 class, okay. the class two years later. And so when you, okay, so you apply for being an astronaut. Anna, seriously, did you think you were going to go to NASA and work as an astronaut? Or did you, you knew you'd go up in space, right? No, I mean, the application was to be an astronaut. Right. I mean, the application was, it was a civil service application exactly that you uh, fill out for any job in the civil service, being a post working in the post office, um, any any civil service job, the application is the same, just what you write. <laughs> I still remember writing in that I was applying to be a mission specialist astronaut, and I still have a copy of that. That it's is like, so cool. It felt so surreal, but it was, um, yeah, and it all happened so quickly because NASA had had the application process open for a little over a year, but we we found out just like a month before the deadline. Wow. So trying to get the application, your transcripts, your letters of recommendation back in the day when you didn't have the Internet and everything had to be done via mail and phone calls and so forth. Um, we barely got our applications in. You know, I just made the, the deadline. So that was like June 30th of 77 and about... Six weeks later or less, I was interviewing in the first group of women ever interviewed to be an astronaut. Anna, was it like crazy when you got the letter? Like, did you had a letter in the mail, or did they show? How did they tell you? Oh no, no, no! They don't. They don't do letters in the mail. They, I mean, for the interview, no, they call you by phone. And the boss that um, hired me and <laughs> told my 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 then husband that he wasn't accepted. <laughs> we had a we had a phone call uh, in January of seventy eight. Wow, that must have been incredible. Were you like scared and excited all at one time? Oh, definitely. I mean, it's what I always wanted. And then you know, like they always say, "Be careful what you wish for." And right. <laughs> you actually get it, and you go, "Oops." Oh, my gosh. I didn't think this was really going to work. Now, wait, were you pregnant now, or were you just, you just had the baby? No, no, no. Um, That was, I was selected in 78. Okay. And then, um, you know, first of all, it took a while. We were selected in 78. The shuttle didn't even fly until April of 81. Oh, yeah. And so we were just getting in line to be um, assigned to flights. Yeah, I sat and thought about it, and by that time, I'm getting to be around 33 and and decided that we wanted to start our family, which, by the way, when I was on being interviewed by the selection board, um, and I have to hand them credit because 
you're not allowed to ask questions about your plans for the family, but I felt like I had to be really honest, and I told him, I said, and, you know, if it affects your decision, I definitely want to have a family and want to have children someday. So I actually told them that when I interviewed. Wow, that's Um, huge. You know, nowadays people go, you can't, you're not even legally allowed to ask that question. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Why did you volunteer that information? But but anyway, so... um, so I was getting to be about 33-ish or so, and we decided we were going to go ahead and start our family because, you know, you can't, you don't know for sure when you're going to be assigned. I, I knew I was going to be assigned to a flight because I was doing well, but I just, I felt that pressure, you know, being a doctor, you know, that fertility rates drop off, you know, right. 35 and all that sort of stuff. So um, we just decided we were going to go ahead and start our family, so... Um, I was called into my boss's office two weeks before I delivered Kristen um, to ask if I wanted to be assigned to to a flight. So basically, um, you know, I had her two weeks later on a Friday, and Monday I was actually back in for our Monday morning meeting that we always have at 8 o'clock every Monday. Just, you know, the first couple weeks I took it a little easy. My training team was very nice about scheduling all my stuff on one day so that I would have days off. But but basically I didn't really have true maternity leave. Um, But that was my choice. Anna, you're amazing. Wow. So you had a baby on Friday. Now I'm trying to grasp this because I have four kids. (laughs) You had a baby on Friday. Monday, you're in the Monday morning meeting? Yep. That's incredible. So this well, like this is like a show of you know, my mom came and I had a wonderful lady who I was so wonderfully good friends with who you know took care of Kristen and stuff and and um, so you know I came back on Monday just as a demo you know yeah. I'm here I'm not going anywhere right I want this flight and I just wanted to say that very emphatically I had my little donut thing with me that I could sit. <laughs> Oh, God, everybody knows that one. <laughs> That's probably the first time anyone brought a donut to an astronaut meeting ever. <laughs> That's wonderful. And mm-hmm. and it's incredible. So you, right then, you know you're going to be assigned, but you have a baby, but you know you're going to be assigned to go into space. I mean... Oh, no. I was assigned. You were I assigned. Was going into yeah, space. you were yeah. assigned. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. So the training. I mean, now you have a baby. Now you have to go into full blown training, right? Yes, but um, to me, astronaut training is 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 intense and very busy. Particularly the last six to eight weeks. That okay. Gets to be really. How long busy. is the training? Um, for a shuttle flight, it's about a year. A little, maybe a little more than a year. Um, but for space station flights now, like the crews that are flying now, it's a lot longer. It's more like three years. Okay. Um, but to me, my medical training was so. My internship was so intense and so hard, um, physically, mentally, and in every way, that, to be honest with you, NASA training was easier in comparison to that. To being a doctor. To that, yeah, to, wow. to my medical training, because that was just, um, I have no idea how people have children and do medical training. I mean, to me, that um, my hats are off to people who can do that, because it is just so intense. Um, certainly back then, I mean, when we worked, 36-hour shifts when you were on on call. And and I know the rules nowadays are limiting that, but it's still a very intense process. So 
So anyway, my um, NASA training was intense, and certainly the last couple of weeks are very intense. But after medical training, at least NASA believed you needed eight hours of sleep a night. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Even though you had a baby, but you had help, right? But, Your mother was with well, you? I have to say that Kristen and my, my younger daughter, Kara, later on, I was just really blessed. I had two very easy babies okay. that were just happy, pretty much slept six hours from the time they came home. Wow. Um, you know, so I was blessed in that regard. Yeah, it would be a lot more difficult if you had a baby that was colicky or you had a baby that had a medical problem or issue. Um, I'm not sure how I would have dealt with that. Wow, you just really, I mean, so you have to be honest with me, Anna. Did you get pushback from the family? Like, why are you continuing with this? You've got a child now. Oh, no. Uh -uh. No, my mom was so proud. Everybody was so happy. Um, My husband and I were committed to the space program, so that was never an issue. Um, very, I feel very fortunate because back in those days, there was no Internet, no Twitter and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, I did get questions from interviews and so forth, you know, how, um, you know, why should I be able to go into space? And my answer to that was, well, my male colleagues are going into space. They have children just like I do. Right. Um, I'm just the first mom to to do that. And, and of course, now we have women going into combat and everything. It's just we were kind of at the beginning of that. Um, my answer to that was I always wanted to be a mom. I always wanted to go into space. Um, I was com- 100% committed to being an astronaut. I would have preferred to go into space first and have a child second, but right. that's you know, I, I didn't feel that that I had that option because I didn't know exactly when I would be assigned. And so I knew Kristen was well taken care of. I knew that my husband loved her to pieces. And um, so, I, I, I mean, yes, it was hard, but I was not ambivalent about it. It right. never entered my mind to not honor my commitment to NASA. And it's so great that you had the support and love of your family. So 17 months after your daughter's born, you actually log 192 hours in space. She was actually 14 months when oh, I flew. 14 months. Wait. Yes, it was, it was hard to leave, very hard. But I know, it had to have been. When was the moment that you stood there and went, oh gosh, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Was there? Um, I mean, the whole time I was training, you know, you sat there um we did a lot of videoing because in case anything happened to me, I wanted Kristen to at least remember me. Excellent. So we always we always joked that that's probably why she became a broadcast journalist. <laughs> Kristen is a, a White House correspondent for Fox News. And um, we always joked that that's probably why she did that because she was so used to being on camera with, you know, with us asking questions and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, the morning I'm going to launch, I remember... You know, again, we didn't have cell phones back in those days, so you had to plan things a lot more carefully. And I remember I called Bill to to talk to him and my mom. And I remember Kara, uh, Kristen came on the phone and said um, she was just beginning to speak at that point and said, Allah, which is her way of saying I love you. And, uh, yeah, that was really, really hard. Um, The funny story about that was my... um, 
because my husband by that time was also an astronaut, he was able to take my mom and Kristen and come and be where the, where, you know, I don't know if you've seen the pictures of the crews walking out yes. as they get ready to go in the van to go launch. And um, normally families are not, you know, astronauts, so they have an escort and all the families are together and they go to launch control center. But Bill told me he was going to come and be there with my mom and, and Kristen. Um, so I knew they were, they were there. And as I'm walking out, um, and I only found this out later, but Bill told my mom, do not get out of the van because he didn't want any photographers to see her and take pictures. Right. Because, um, you know, he wasn't supposed to be there actually. Right. And, um, as I'm walking out, I never thought about it. And I'm, all of a sudden I'm looking because I knew they were there and I'm looking for my mom and I'm looking for Kristen and all I, and I just see Bill and the, and, um, my mom must've seen my eyes because I'm thinking to myself, if I just see Kristen, it's fine. Whatever happens, I'm, I'm okay. And my mom must've seen my eyes. And it literally you have maybe a minute that you're walking out, right. maybe less than that. My mom saw my eyes and she got out of the van and I saw Kristen, and then I was okay. Oh, that is so incredible. So so you get in, you strap in, and your job in the shuttle was to do what? I was the flight engineer, so I was responsible. I trained with the command and the pilot. We you know, trained as a team. I was supposed to make sure we stayed on the timeline and did any action that we were required to do inside the cockpit and if we had a malfunction, I was supposed to lead us through whatever the malfunction was and make sure we took the appropriate actions. And then I operated the robotic arm when we were retrieving satellites. And I was also um, lead for uh, helping to um, deploy. We had two satellites we were deploying, and two satellites we were retrieving and bringing back. And so I, I was the arm operator for that and um, working on the deploying of the two that we deployed. That's incredible. What Nothing tell, to do with being a doctor. <laughs> nothing, yeah, I was going to say, nothing to do with being a doctor. If So when you're up there and you take your first look out the window, when they, when you can finally release all the straps and get, you know be about the cabin, and was it everything you thought it was going to be or more? Oh, the view from, from space is unbelievable. And every astronaut, cosmonaut, or taikonaut, which is what the Chinese call their astronauts, will, I think, tell you the same thing, that, you know, once you see that view from space, you just really get a different perspective. You you always feel a loyalty to your country, where you come from, but you also start to feel a little more um, as a person of the world as opposed to where you come from. And the longer you're in space, you know, when I listen to my colleagues who've been up there for six months versus eight days, I think you feel that even more and more. More unified. And particularly at the international crews. And, um, so it, it's just it, it's just an unbelievable view. Plus, when you look at Earth and then you look out to the black vastness of space that goes on forever as far as we know, um, and then you look back at this beautiful planet. I mean, when you look into that vast blackness, particularly my crew members, crew members who have been outside and sitting for a minute looking out there, you know, it's pretty scary looking into that vast blackness of space. And oh, I know. You look back at this planet and you go, 
we probably should really take good care of it. Right, <laughs> right. It's going to be a long time before we can get beyond to any other planets if they if they exist. Wow, that and you went you circled the planet how many times? Um, hundred let's see, hundred and ninety. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I've never actually calculated. Oh, wow, that's just incredible. It was 100 and whatever you said, 97 hours or Okay, something. 192 hours. Could you look down right. and see the United States? Uh, yes, we are. We were at 25-degree um, inclination, so the highest we went was probably between Dallas and Houston. You know, we, we didn't cover the entire United States. Right. Um, space station flights are at a 56 or so degree inclination, so they cover a lot more of the United States. But oh yeah, we saw. I remember the night when we were when we would go the morning when we were in our um, rendezvous for our first uh, satellite we were going to retrieve. We were nose down, looking straight down at the Earth, 200 nautical miles below, and it was a crystal clear night because it was November, and you could see Houston. Dallas and San Antonio, you know, and it was just unbelievably beautiful. Unbelievable. And I have to ask this crazy question. Seth's going to give me the eye when I ask it, but I have to ask. Do you see stars out in the black void of space? Like when you're in space, do you see little twinkly stars like of other planets, you know, reflections or whatever it is? Uh, You know, when... When you're in orbit, you're at 200 nautical miles. So in terms of astronomical distances, you're really not that much closer to the stars than you are here on Earth. Plus, when you're inside the shuttle, you're looking through that thick several layers of glass, you know, to protect you. So I didn't personally find the views of the stars that much different. Now, if you ask one of my crewmates, who was outside in their spacesuits, and all they had was their helmet, they might have a different answer. But for me, it wasn't that much different than what you see here at night. In fact, you know, when you're in a really dark place on the Earth, um, looking up at the stars, they might even be more spectacular than from the shuttle looking through that thick glass. Oh, wow, that's that's a great point. So mm-hmm. you do you do your time in space. You can back down, and what do you do now? What what do you do as an astronaut now that you're back on on land? You're back here. Well, really, it's no different than what we did before you go into space. Um, being in the astronaut office is kind of analogous to being in a squadron in the military, where you rotate jobs around, and we have all sorts of different jobs. Okay. Um, early on, those jobs are, are, in a way, part of your training. Um, for example, um, I worked in the facility where we verify our software, but as a part of doing that, you're also learning a lot. Um, you can be a Capcom where you work in mission control, where you're the person that's talking to the crews on orbit. And so... When you come back from space, it's exactly the same. You just get in rotation, and we rotate people around to these various different jobs. You're also working on the development of whatever the next big project is. So um, as we got more comfortable with the shuttle, we started working on the space station. So I wound up being chief of our space station branch 
um, early, long before the first cruise flew on the space station. Um, and then just before I retired the last few years, I worked on Orion, which is our next vehicle that's going to go beyond low Earth orbit, um, hopefully to the moon and then eventually on to Mars. So in the office, you have various different jobs that, that we do. And the, going in, going into space is just like the, the cherry on top of the, the soda or whatever. It's, it's your, um, reward, but it's not your only job that you do. Right. There's a lot of other things we do. Right. So you come back, you're working your regular job, and subsequently, a few years later, six, I think six years later, you, you're pregnant again, you have another child, and this time you take a big leave of absence, right? Well, what happened was I was assigned to my second flight almost within a month after I landed. And so when the Challenger accident happened in 86, I was about a few weeks, like six or eight weeks from my second flight. And, um, in fact, I was in the middle of a, in a training session on the robotic arm when we, I, I asked the training team to freeze the sim and we ran down to the conference room to watch the launch because a bunch of my friends were launching, um, on, on 25L, which has now become called the Challenger. And, you know, once I, we saw that happen, we knew, of course, it was going to be several years at least before we flew again till they figured all that out and stuff. And so uh, we decided we wanted to have our, our second child because I had always wanted, you know, to, to have at least two so that they had siblings and, and you know, have each other. And, um, and then I found out that having two children is a lot more work than having one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and plus, you know, um, we were starting to have problems with my marriage. and There were a lot of things going on at that point. And, um, and so I wound up not intentionally planning it that way. Um, I wound up having a, taking a seven-year leave of absence. Um, but it was really a decision that was made one year at a time. I had a really wonderful boss who um, was very much involved in raising his own five children. And so I think he was more understanding about those kind of issues. My Yeah, my question would be, it, it is much, much harder with two, and, and you've got a lot of juggling to do. So so that was amazing <laughs> in itself that he allowed you to uh, take that time off. Yes, it, like I said, it was a, probably the hardest decision I ever made to take a leave of absence. Do you, you have to go do some kind of training, right? Like when you come back, do they, you, you're out of it for seven years. Things change overnight. So, oh, it was, it was so dramatic, especially the years that I was out. And the reason being the whole way the world, if business and space operated, changed dramatically. Yeah, right. My daughter was born, my second daughter was born in January 10th of 89. I went back in January of 96. When I left, we did business by having meetings. If the astronaut office had an opinion on a significant issue, we wrote a memo, and we sent the memo to all the key directorates. When I came back, the first thing they did was give you a computer. And I go, what is this? (laughs) And then I learned about email. And the whole way, in those seven years... The entire way the world operated changed dramatically. 
And um, just little simple things, like I went to go do my first appearance, and back in the days before I left, you used slides. I mean, like real slides, not PowerPoint. Real slides in a little carousel. And I remember I went to do my first appearance, and I'm talking to the, I'm going to talk to a school in California, and I'm talking with my contact, and and I go, well, you know, I have my slides, and I'm bringing my carousel, and there was this pause on the other end of the phone. (laughs) Well, I think maybe one of the teachers might have a slide projector in their closet at home. (laughs) Anyway, I I got through that appearance with my actual physical slides, and I came back, and my office mate, um, who was um you know, grew up with PowerPoint and all that stuff, said, here, let me help you learn about PowerPoint. <laughs> oh, yeah, now you're learning from, yeah, you're learning from younger people than you. And that's a, that was a tough time. You're right. It Things like, changed it, dramatically well, when you were gone. Well, and plus all my friends had left, all the people that I worked with. Right. So when I came back, it was like a totally different office. It was probably the hardest thing I've ever done was, was coming back after those seven years. And you stayed on. Like, you... you you're still, are you still working there, or what do you what do you do? I just retired on April 28th of last year. Um, my goal had been to stay until we had our own vehicle, one of the vehicles, either uh, SpaceX or Boeing Starliner or Orion, whichever one launch. I wanted to support one more launch because mm-hmm. once you've been to a real launch and supported it, it. It just gets in your blood. It's just so exciting. And to just actually be there and have all the badges so you can just go out to the pad. and It's just so exciting. And to have it um, happen successfully. So that was my goal. But it just kept slipping. And I realized that, you know, I wanted to um, retire while I still had... Um, well, I was still in good enough health to go do some of the other things I wanted to do. Plus, I knew my younger daughter was about to get married, although I didn't know it was going to come quite as soon as it did. And then my other daughter I knew was you know, getting ready to, they were getting ready to start their family as well. And I just wanted time to do that. I, I didn't want to have to constantly be worried about how much leave I had left so I could go do things and Right. So I finally made the decision to retire, but it was a hard decision because I love what I do and I love the space program and I'm passionate about it, and um, and it's such an exciting time right now. So it was it was hard to walk away, but but I did. <laughs> so you were an astronaut for like twenty. How long were you an astronaut? I don't know, thirty six years. Wow, thirty six years and nine months. That's incredible. And you have a beautiful, beautiful baby granddaughter, right? Oh, gosh, yes. I just had my first um, recall in babies, as I told my daughter, (laughs) a weekend ago when I babysat while they went to a wedding. So, oh, my gosh, I forgot how much fun they can be. Oh, isn't that the greatest? And, And if you had to tell your grandchildren, your granddaughter, your grandsons, if you have them, if you had to tell your grandchildren something, something that you'd want them to remember as your legacy or something that you'd want the associate them to associate you with what would that lesson be what would you want to tell them i would just tell them the same thing i really told my daughters is you just need to find something in life that you're passionate about that you really love and you really care about um it just makes work not a job it makes it you know literally um 
something that you you want to do and you you know you, it's nice to to earn a, a salary doing what you want but it takes it beyond just earning um earning a living making it something that you're passionate about and um and that's you know i i think both my daughters have been lucky now to to find that and that's what i want for my grandchildren too whatever whatever that is i mean of course i would love they wanted to go into space and and follow and do that sort of thing but i totally understand just finding something you're you're really passionate about that's but that's great. Clara also has two flight jackets already. Oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. you're not trying to sway her in any way, shape, or form. You know what? I just wanted my last question or my last comment I wanted to make to you is when you were talking about you were up in space and you're looking down at the earth and, um, you know, everybody that goes into space, cosmonauts and, and astronauts. And I, what did you call Chinese people that are astronauts? I'm sorry, I missed that. The, what, are, what are Chinese astronauts called? Taikonauts. Okay. Mm-hmm. When you're up there and you're looking down, it, it feels unified, right? How do you feel about that? Like, it, you, you feel unified in the world at that point. Well, I think one of the, t- to me, um, if you ask what my thing that I'm most proud of, looking back on my career, it was um, being chief of the space station branch at the very beginning. When I first came back to NASA after my leave of absence and I found out that the decision was made that we were going to partner with our the Russians at that point, you know, at that point, my only, growing up in the Cold War, I, I mean, the thought of being partners with the Russians just seemed like the most ridiculous idea I'd ever heard of. But I completely changed my mind. I now have wonderful friends. I've learned to live with, uh, to work with our Russian colleagues and then became friends and learned to respect and and care deeply about them. And when they launched the first piece of the space station, we're sitting there rooting just as much for their success because our success depended on their success. And, um, And over the years, even when we have political differences with Russia and Putin and, and our President Trump and all of that sort of stuff, at the working level, it really doesn't seem to matter because we all have a common goal, and that common goal is space exploration. And I really, really feel that as we work together on these big projects, and if we want to go to Mars or the moon, it has to be an international effort. It cannot be just one one country alone just really can't afford it. Um, I don't think um, perhaps China will be able to. Um, but I really feel that, that that's the really wonderful thing about the space program. It brings people together on something that we all can agree on, no matter what your political differences are. And and it brings us on our first steps venturing from our from our planet. And I think as more people get to go into space, as we have the Elon Musk's and the um, Jeff Bezos with Blue Origin and they um, and Richard Branson, um, as we have more people get to go into space just as tourists, and they get to look back at our planet and have that same feeling that I was telling you about that that we feel. I, I think it will slowly work towards bringing us together more as a world and less as individual countries. That's a very, that's a great point. I can't 
Dr. Fisher, I can't thank you enough for being on our show. I can't thank you enough for this wonderful interview. And I want to just say, I have to add this in real quickly. I want you to say hi to her baker for me, who was so kind to to get me in contact with you. If you see him at Kennedy Space Station or Space Center, please Mm -hmm. tell him. I said, thank you. He was a great, great guy. That was um, uh, really nice of him to to put us in touch. And uh, I think it's a really neat thing that you do uh, with your show and um, letting women have this option to to listen to people because, you know, as you said in some of our emails, um, sometimes it looks like everything happens flawlessly and with no issues, and and that's definitely not the case. I think when you really look into it, it, everybody who's successful has to really work hard and has had to overcome obstacles in their life. And um, my main goal is just, my main advice is, be persistent and don't give up. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Dr. Fisher, so much. And we wish you all the success and have so much fun with your granddaughter. She looks adorable. Oh, thank you so much, Karen. And I'm, yeah, I'm telling my daughter I'm ready to move in. Oh, great. <laughs> They're ready for it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The One Tough Mother Podcast. Real talk with amazing women who have worked their way to the top and want to share their real life lessons with you. And we're back and we've got Chuck Brother Seth here with headlines and headaches. Hit it, boy. Whoa. Who are you calling? Hit it. Who are you calling? Hit it, boy. boy. You, gotta... are you out of your mind? <laughs> okay. 47 years old. All right. Black Panther crosses. And you look every bit of it. I'm yeah, just kidding. Good to see you. Black Panther crosses new <laughs> milestone. Oh. Black Panther is set to become one of the best grossing, highest grossing films in a sophomore weekend, coming in second only to Star Wars The Force Awakens. Wall Street Journal reports Marvel hit raked in 100 mil- 108 million this weekend, bringing the worldwide total about $704 million. Wow. Joins an elite group that includes Jurassic World and Marvel's Avengers to have surpassed the 100 million mark during the second weekend in the U.S. box office. Since launching two weeks ago, Black Panther has gone to boost box office numbers up 12.5% from the year prior. And neither of us can recommend it because we haven't seen it, but we heard it's fab. I mean, look, if you're into these kind of movies, it, it, what's, good that, what's good about this movie is it's drawing even a different audience, and larger audience. This movie is also, because we watch all the Marvel movies, this movie also fits into this, the longer story. All these movies are connected. It's like a, it's like a, um, a long, not like sequential, but kind of. You could watch, they all stand alone, but they're also all connected at the same time. Oh, that's cool. I didn't realize that. Because Black that. Panther was in um, Captain America uh, Civil War, and he's also going to be in the next Avengers movies. God, the you're character. a geek. Um, no, I'm, I didn't say that out loud. Yeah, I'm a geek because I watch movies that make I didn't say it out billions loud. of dollars. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Whatever. I didn't get all like deep into it. I'm just saying I, I watch the movies. <laughs> not, I didn't even read the comic book. I'm not breaking down, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's move on. I don't like you. <laughs> Two of the most powerful people in media are building a case against Facebook and Google, and a war is brewing. Good luck. Right. The heads of CNN and News Corp uh, have both spoken out against uh, the power Facebook and Google have over digital media. Wah. Uh, It sounds like jealousy to me. Yeah. On Monday, CNN President Jeff Zucker said the government should look at Facebook and Google's monopoly power. It's not fair. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) They got we did it. They're making money more than we are. They're looking at us. Yeah. News Corp Executive Chairman Rupert Murdoch said in January that Facebook should pay media companies for content they post to the site. They don't need your media. Come on. 
The comments hit at a war brewing between interests of big media and big tech. They st- big media stands no chance. None. Zero. None. Like this is just dra- grasping at straws and crying. Oh, instead of making a hundred billion, we're only making fifty billion. Right. Nah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Cry me a river. Yeah, me too. And get over it real fast. Yeah. I, I don't know. They're just complaining. There's some algorithms and there's plaf- uh, profitable for these platforms, but it's unreliable. Like they don't report unreliable news. Hello. Yeah, come on. Exactly. And you know, the fact of the matter is, okay, they're crying about the algorithms, how they control it with algorithms. Well, too bad. Right. So get some techie people in your place. Yeah, step up your game. Hire someone. Pay somebody. Right. Babies. Yeah. Yeah, This is like for regular people like us, we don't want to hear Like, What what are we going to, we're going to cry a river for you? Give me a break. Right. Oh, Google and Facebook are making more money than us online. They're using our stuff. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. You don't own the news. <laughs> <laughs> the news is just the news, and they get their own news. They don't need yours. Right. That's a joke. Okay. Parents in the U.S. are worried about their children's use of smartphones, among other things. Uh, as more and more studies emerge about the use of smartphones and social, medias in our, social media in our daily lives, more, many parents are worried. Can smartphones have an adverse effect on young children? In a recent study by nonprofit uh, Common Sense Media, nearly half of adults surveyed said that their children exhibited addictive behavior in their use of a smartphone. My two-year-old has this already. What? She has addictive behavior for the smartphone, yes. Why? Because you give it to her to entertain her when she's bored? I don't give it to her. All right. I would be quiet on that one. <laughs> Just keep going. Um, no, but she does. And she'll cry for it. And we, and we don't give it back. We cut the time. The time's up. Because she's such a pain in the butt that sometimes you, you know, parents do it, unfortunately. But parents are split over whether new technologies are actually harming the mental health of children. As this chart by Statista shows, 50% of the parents surveyed were worried about their child's smartphone use and its effect on their mental health. But parents were far more in agreement when it came to determining whose responsibility it is to curb cell phone use. Exactly. 89% said it's up to the parents to decide when their kids have spent enough time on a device. What did the other 11% say? Is up to God? Like, Le- who, 11%, like, yeah. Who? The kid. Yeah. kid gets to decide. Yeah, listen, I, I'm done. I let little Jimmy do whatever he wants. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, if he wants to use the phone, he can use the phone. <laughs> it's up to him to decide if he's used it too much. <laughs> oh You're such a jerk today. I'm a jerk. Today. I'm a I jerk. I just today. Go but ahead. I'm a jerk. No, go ahead. <sighs> I'm so, I just, it's, it's like, um, it reminds me of when uh, they have a Hall of Fame vote for baseball and the writers. They decide not to vote for a guy because they, they know he's going to get in anyway, so they want to use their vote somewhere else. It's like, no. If Ken Griffey's, going, Ken Griffey's up for the Hall of Fame, you vote yes. So it's like, he's got 96%. The other 4% should be fired. Exactly. So it's like these 11% of our parents, they should be fired. Not allowed to have kids. Not, not allowed to have any yeah, more kids. We're taking your kids away. You're fired. That's it. Sorry. I'm off my soapbox now. Thank you. Let's talk about marijuana. Let's. Toronto's Kronos Group will be the first marijuana company to trade on a major U.S. stock exchange, reports the CBC. Its listing on the NASDAQ marks an important step for the cannabis industry, which has faced resistance from the Trump administration, notes Bloomberg. Marijuana use is banned by U.S. federal law, but legal in, in numerous states and Washington, D.C., which is funny, right? That is funny yeah. to me. And Washington, D.C.? Yeah. Kronos listing um, could encourage American investors who have been hesitant to invest in marijuana stocks but now have a mainstream option that has passed muster with U.S. regulators, according to Bloomberg. The, you know, real quick, the thing with, the reason why U.S. is against uh, legalizing uh, f- for the whole country is because of the lobbyists and tobacco and alcohol. Clearly, they're in pot. Uh, that's my opinion. I don't know that for a fact, but I would guess. Who do you think owns this country? Right. Right. The big companies. Right. Yeah, You're talking tobacco. 
and, okay. and alcohol. They yeah. don't want marijuana. Like, why am I going right. to? I'll just. Uh, why do I have to drink and get fat and you know, drive? I can just smoke. You know, right. take a hit and I'll be feel the same way, or I'll get high, or whatever I want to do. But also, cannabis has so much more uses than just getting high and recreational. I mean, I know that's what it's popular for, but it's it helps people with cancer. I mean, oh a lot man, of, totally. Male manager mom can get it. I told yeah. you that for her Crohn's disease. It's 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 an amazing plant. I don't smoke. I, don't, I you know I have. I don't smoke. Right. I don't want to. Well, anymore. who hasn't to. smoked? I mean, in our in but, our. But I'm range. saying, it, if 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 I needed it for help for something medicinal, I'd rather do that than, than pump myself full of drugs. Well, here's the here's the, here's a little pharmaceutical thing. Pharmaceutical drugs. Just this morning, as we're talking, as I'm driving in, I'm talking to my girlfriend. Okay, just this morning she was talking, and again she's had some problems with um, reoccurring cancer when she's on, <clears throat> excuse me, on the upside now. But in order to get through like all the treatments that she's been through, and as well as with my father who who passed away, they give them the fentanyl patch. Do you know what that like? That's a serious drug. It's like uh, roofies. It's fentanyl is stronger than heroin. Isn't that what roofie? You know what roofies are? I think that's what, what it is. Fentanyl. Uh, but it's a date rape drug. Yeah. So here's my question: to this, would you rather have somebody smoke pot so that they have an appetite, so that they're not in pain, so that they control what's going on, or would you like stick a fentanyl patch on them for six months? And even with football players, you know, they get suspended for marijuana. They they lighten the suspensions because it actually helps them heal. And right. It helps them. It helps them from being in pain. Right. And yet now try to come. You want down. to kill themselves every Sunday, but you won't let them help themselves out. Let's come off of all the opioids all around. Right. And the fentanyl. Well, we and all talked this about stuff. that last week. Right. With the with the oxy. I'd rather have them do. I'd rather say here for pain. You know, take drink, smoke a joint. Right. Or, you know, if there's a way that they, you take it where you're not getting high, who cares? It's like Eat a brownie. Right. Yeah. I'm saying that you know, there's also ways you can use the plant and not get high Oh, absolutely. From it. They extract yeah. the, yeah, right. they extract the stuff out of it. Okay. So, big soapbox today. Wow. Right. This one I like. Uh, Apple follows Amazon into healthcare. Apple's opening health clinics for employees and their families, CNBC reports. The program called AC Wellness will kick off in the spring. The iPhone maker has been typically secretive about its plans, writes the Financial Times. But CEO Tim Cook recently told shareholders that Apple can make significant contribution to the healthcare industry. News comes after a similar move by Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan, which recently announced a joint healthcare initiative for their employees. Finally, big companies going, okay, guys, we'll help, we're got, we got you. Uh, we got you. I, you know, I shouldn't say this, but my health insurance is terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. It, really? Yeah, it's bad. Your deductibles and everything? Everything's terrible. Yeah, you could use it, but you have to spend like $9 million before you can actually tap into the insurance. One of my uh, coworkers went for his physical. They did blood work, and he got billed for 300 bucks. He called insurance like, oh, you should check with us first. Yeah, we don't cover that. You're kidding. I'm not kidding. Oh, see, mine is pretty good. Oh, well, my, I mean, actually, I went and got are new you glasses. Hire, are you hiring? No. Oh, okay. I went and got new glasses recently. and um, They look fabulous, by the new. way. These okay. are readers. Well, those look to, those look great. These are great. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I got allergies today. Anyway, um, I went and the woman looked through my plan and she goes, "You have got the best eye plan I've ever seen." Bragger. I know. I need to go eye doctor. I was too. like super, super duper happy about that. I was super, like, "Oh my god, you're kidding!" Because I spend, believe me, when I tell you, a lot of money a month for this plan. Right, because you pay for yourself. Right, and self-employed. Me, 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 me. me. Oh, let's move on. Uh, let's talk about the Parkland shooting. Well, we just want to yeah bring it yeah. up just quick. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's still open up a huge dialogue. You know, we obviously pray, uh, you know, we support the, the victims and uh, the recovering victims and 
the families of uh, lost children and, and, and family members. Um, the I gun, think the these gun kids stuff, are doing great. Uh, I'm ar- I, you know, it's funny I had an argument with my dad about this. It's like it's just, um, and I told you this too with uh with Paul Violas who you sat in with. Uh, yeah. You know, I said well, it's an AR-15. He said it's an automatic assault rifle, whatever he said it was. I f- whatever, however you describe. It. I said, what do you use it for? He said, killing people. I said, why should anybody have that? He said, they shouldn't. I mean, it's that simple. You know, and I don't know. Uh, it's not you're not gonna ban- people was like, ban all the guns. That's never gonna happen realistically. I mean, it'd be a nice world to live in, but that's not gonna happen. But at least take off these guns that that have no purpose other than killing people. And what is a bump Those, stock? Do you know what a bump stock's for? No. You don't know what a bump stock is for? No. To take a regular rifle and make it into an, an automatic. Oh, so people can do it's that a, themselves? It's an accessory. It's a bump stock. Who needs that? Who? Why? No. Why? If any guns are in a store that are meant for killing people, they shouldn't be sold. And if I'm wrong about that, somebody, I looked it well, up I and shoot, I would make shoot sure. Shoot somebody, go join yeah. the military. Yeah. Yeah, the, exactly. But, um, we, you know, these kids, I, I, I follow this really closely all the time, all, every day, because... These kids are, you know, out of the mouths of babes. That's all I have to say. They're doing a great job. They're really putting it out there. The, the, the support is is amazing. And um, I, I just, finally, these kids are saying enough now. We're dying. We're dying. And it's sad and it's horrible. And as a parent, I'm nervous, you know. And there actually was some stuff going on in New Jersey. They, 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 yes. Yeah, some threats close to where I live. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the other day. And no, no, there was like threats in New Jersey yeah. and there was threats in like Pennsylvania, like two or three threats in the same day because these kids see it sensationalized. They like want to like, be famous, too. Yeah, it's yeah. insanely crazy. I think I did see someone say that, you know, they shouldn't even release the names of these people. Almost like they, they compared it to when, you know, when fans run on a, on a field during a sporting yes. event, they don't show it. They cut away. Yes. Do not sensationalize these kids. Do not let people even know who their names are. Put them away. I think away. of that every time I think of terrorism. Right, when I think of these terrorists and they're like, oh, he was this guy and we followed his right. family. Because it's news. Just get rid of him. I don't don't right. even mention his name. Who gives I a like crap? I like the feds He's to pick him up and yeah. stick him in a basement somewhere. Exactly. Like, and just to show people, you're not going to get famous from doing this. We're going to take you and stick you in a hole. Right. Okay. And, that's, and we're going to throw slop in your face right. for the rest of your life. You know? I mean, there's, there's just so many issues. Like, we, we can talk about this for hours. The mental health issues. It's just just... It's so big. People think it's so simple, but it's not. It's a big mess. It is a big mess. And, and you know, I'm glad these kids are speaking. And the one kid who spoke at the White House was brilliant. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's like, do something. Right. Do something. You're not giving all the teachers guns. Like, don't, don't be an imbecile. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. And, and again, I, we did speak about this last weekend. And we and, and I was very... Oh, by the way, I want to throw Paul Violas um, a plug because... His show, the name Security Brief, Security Brief is is amazing, and he asked me to sit in. He invited me to sit in on his show last week. Extremely interesting. Well, he, extremely he's, interesting. He's also someone you can find on CBS this morning when when something goes down. He's like the head of you know he's head of security issues you know on the news for CBS yeah. so on radio or on TV. If something goes down, he's the first one they, they talk to. It was so. a big honor to sit in on his show. And he's going to be on our show, he said. Yes. He'd come on, he's going to talk about security. Yeah, and for, what women can do to protect, you know, stay stay safe, even if you're on vacation or you're home. Right. You know, he's he's a complete expert. In, and gosh, he dresses really great. I mean, the, compared to Seth, like he had a tie on and he smelled really good. And he just had like, like he looked really, sorry. Okay, that's it for headlines and headaches. <laughs> we're gonna uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be back with uh, the email. Let's see, mails in. Mails in. 
the One Tough Mother podcast. Real talk with amazing women who have worked their way to the top and want to share their real life lessons with you. And we're back and we're here with Mails In. It's mail time. Hold on, I forgot to put my cans on. Hold on, go ahead. Go ahead, Seth, read mail. Email number one. Dear One Tough Mother, I have severe anxiety and I don't know what to do. I've seen my family doctor who says every test is normal, so I went to the OBGYN to see if it's hormonal, and it's not, or all hormonal levels are normal as well. My family doctor told me to cut out caffeine, which I drink little of, maybe one cup of coffee a day, and chocolate. He also seemed to push anti-anxiety pills or a low-level antidepressant. I do not, in capitals, want to take medication and and refuse to believe that I suddenly, a 46-year-old... 46 years old have a chemical imbalance i've always had a touch of anxiety but now it's almost unbearable my stomach is in knots all day and i've gained 26 pounds because i'm constantly eating to try to fill the void pit of your stomach feeling i work out four times a week i love my job and don't really have much stress what is wrong with me in capitals that's why i said it loud the crazy thing is no one knows no one i am a single mother with two beautiful daughters one 17 year old one 14 are well adjusted happy living in the full life of teen girls with school friends activities and i refuse to allow them to see me unstrung i gotta say having two teenage girls could be stressful even if you're trying to suppress it it's i could feel that like underneath right no, i'm right, just right. chiming in here sorry my anxiety gets so bad i want to stay in my house all the time and then feel tremendous guilt about feeling this way I force myself, and I mean force myself, to go to work, the girls' events, the store, or go anywhere. I just want to be happy again. I used to be the happiest woman around. I loved work events, parties, family outings, taking the girls shopping. Now I just feel sick, sad, and tied up in knots inside. In this weight gain, nothing fits. I feel ugly and out of control. My oldest daughter mentioned my eating last night and said, Mom, you never used to eat junk, especially chips, cookies, and crackers, but I see you eating them nonstop now. What gives with you? I just said, I don't know. I have... I. I guess I'm making up for what I missed out on. Please help if you can with any advice. Wow. You know what? Um, first of all, I was I was going to really go with menopause, but she said all her hormone levels are normal. Well, so. She seems smart enough to she, she's checked the right boxes to see. Exactly. Yeah, which exactly. I, I give her credit for. And you know what? I'm going to say this, too, just so you know. I, I have very bad anxiety. I mean, I control it by just working out. I work out a lot because I have to to control it. But... um. I don't is I as well don't want to take medication of any kind, and I didn't have very bad anxiety growing up. Was it a process of elimination for you yeah. to figure out to what like you tried different yes. things and what's worked the best? Working out, what like ty- I refuse to take. What type of working med- out do you do? I do I do a lot of on the elliptical and lifting weights. Okay, I think lifting weights is a good thing. I think a lot of women women don't lift weights, and it's and people like I think the average person who doesn't understand thinks. Lifting weights is about muscle and right, right, bulking like, up, bulking like, up. Yeah, yeah, like big muscle heads, but it actually helps your bone health, and also it's very good for stress. You know, right. So I don't know what kind of working out she does, and that's one thing to look at. Yeah, and yeah. the other thing is, um, I well, I used to do it, and I don't do it anymore, and I absolutely loved it. Was dance class because it's you're, you're you know, like Zumba or something. It's just really fun, and you're with a bunch of women, and it's fast. Meditation, right. Yeah, I'm thinking like she has to try different things to find out what works because she doesn't. And she want sounds you. You sound Beth. You sound extremely intelligent because she signed it, Beth. Yes. And you're doing all the right things. And again, when um, I don't know what there was actually an incident in my life that that pushed me to the anxiety level that I'm at. And um, when I did identify that, because I was like, no, no, I controlled it. I controlled it. When I realized I didn't control it as good as I thought I did, 
then I needed to control the anxiety. And that's when, and I always worked out. I mean, I've been a gym rat my entire life, but I really pushed it to the next level with working out. And I I get what you're saying. It is extreme, you feel extreme guilt about it. You got to stop the food thing though. You're only making it worse. Yeah. What's happening is she's trying to fill that void. It's easy easy for me to say that. And I understand that. But if you really want this to stop, you got to look at everything, you know, and you got to try to like curb that diet and like try to be strict with it too. Right. And, and just try, try different things because it looks like she's trying to get answers. So try different things with your diet. Look at, try vegan, try, try different things. See what works for you. Try yoga, meditation. It might help ease the anxiety in your brain. She has to try different things. There's something that, that precipitated it. There's something that pushed it to this or level. Or therapy too. Right. Maybe, maybe there's something so stuck in her head that she doesn't know thinking. what it is. Yeah. You don't know what you're thinking. So why, you know, and uh, I, believe me when I tell you, Beth, honestly, I am the worst person to, to say, oh, you should see a psychiatrist or psychologist because I don't or believe in them so much. Yeah. But please go talk to them. Maybe Absolutely. there's something stuck in your head you don't realize is stuck there. So you know, att- look at this as a, as, as a challenge or a problem and attack it. Attack it mentally. Attack it physically and, until you find answers you're looking for because it sounds like you don't want to live this way. Right. So it, you, need, you need to attack this problem. And you don't want to take meds and I, I applaud you for that. So do everything because, you can. Yeah. You might need meds. You know, we're, both of us are not big on medication, but yeah. some people do need it. Right, absolutely. And, and, and I don't know if that's the case with Beth, but I think she, she she needs to, she toughs it out, so that's impressive. So I think she needs to try on her own first and, and try to find something that works. And if, if Beth, if you try everything and nothing's working, then then you have to maybe think about that. The happiness thing got me that you're not, you don't feel like you're happy anymore. So I think there is something stuck in your head that you don't get. And I think you should go speak to someone and maybe they can pull it out. Here's what I'm going to say to you, mother to mother, because you say you have two daughters. When I get to these funks about, I don't know what's going on with me, or I don't know how to do this, or when I just get to this point, I always think, what would I do if it was one of my kids? How would I help them? So pull yourself out of yourself and look at yourself as a child, as your child, and say, what are the steps I would take to help my child? And then take those steps. And maybe it'll help you. I don't know. But let us know because um, I, there's a lot of women that feel the same thing. I speak to women every day, all day long. And when I go to do, when I do professional speaking and I'm at big, you know, or I'm at places where I speak to women, they say the same thing over and over. Anxiety is tremendous. Beth, it could be something that is so completely like it could be the school shooting. I'm not just saying the time isn't right, right. but it could have been something that trigger. happened in the news that triggered you. So go talk to somebody. And, and you make up a good, you bring up a good point too. Look, look at, are you watch the news a lot? Are you looking for these right. horrible stories? You know, talk to Melissa about that. I, I don't want to dive too deep into these stories. I mean, you want to be, you want to know what's going on for if, right. what you need to know, but you don't need to be obsessed with it or to read all about, like get too deep into it because you'll carry that with you. Right, exactly. So that's what my concern is. Maybe there's something that triggered it in you that you don't even realize. So, you know, go talk to somebody. Do yourself a favor. You tell your, you do this for your child. If it was one of your daughters telling you this over and over, you'd get them somewhere to speak to someone. So do yourself a favor and give it a try. Thanks for writing. Yeah, that was good. Email number two, dear mother, for five months I've been dating a great guy. We're both in our early 50s with grown children. My kids are 23 and 27, and his are 18 and 24. We are both still in great shape and very active and love the outdoors. We met online, and I'm honestly falling for this guy, except for one thing. He constantly has his phone. Oh, boy. Yeah, well, (laughs) I don't know if you're going to find a guy that doesn't. Right. Or a woman. Everyone has their phones all the time. I try to put it down at home. It doesn't matter where we are, who we are with, or when. He is continuously checking his phone. 
For example, Valentine's Day dinner. He took me to a beautiful little bistro he chose. He had gorgeous flowers, chocolate-covered strawberries, and champagne on the table and made sure that when we got the table right in front of the fireplace. Made sure we got that table. I have never had such a Valentine's Day, and I felt like I was 20 again. Everything was perfect except that he constantly checked his phone. I counted 11 times in two hours. Actually, I may have missed one. Oh, boy. (laughs) I would be in the middle of a conversation. He'd slowly slide his hand across the table. I've done this. (laughs) and over to his phone and to tap and activate it he scans for messages every time and uncomfortably looks away at one point he actually picked up his phone and began to text a quick message to his 18 year old daughter which led to another text from her this behavior has become his normal and I believe he truly doesn't even know he's doing it my mood however was quickly deflated and I felt second to his phone mother not to get graphic but he lays his phone on the nightstand right next to his head all the time I swear, if it was to go off as we were making love, he would check it. Wow. He carries it into the bathroom, to the kitchen, and everywhere he goes. He doesn't know, um, he doesn't know. Uh, but right now I saw him unplug it at 2 a.m. to take to the bathroom with him. He was in the bathroom for 40 minutes, and I swear he was on his phone. What do I do? Due to our careers, we only see each other twice a week, but text and talk every day. Well, there you go. You're right. He's on his phone texting and talking to you. She's not with him then but he's still texting and talking to her. <laughs> I also feel it was too early in our relationship to say anything because he said the last woman he dated was very pushy. I bet it was over his phone. Help. Yeah. Okay, Seth, what do you do? I, you, you could bring it up, but you don't have to be pushy about it. But hey, you know, look, I, I know we're all attached to our phones now, you know, because we are to a certain extent. Maybe he, sound, he sounds like he's a little overkill. Hey, can we, you know, when we spend time together, can maybe we just put it down for a little while? You know, just, just request just being suggest request would be like you know if well, if you're like you're living together or something like dude <laughs> you know yeah, you yeah, say yeah. hey buddy yeah, yeah. all right take it easy but you're dating you know, so it sounds like it, i don't know if i was dating a girl and i was doing that and and i think people do it kind of subconsciously with the phone i wondered that too you know, it sounds subconscious like, I, I feel like you we, said you did that you slid your hand over to tap you, it. you just you just like just, you know you're subconsciously like you don't want to miss a message or somebody's right. texting you know how it is too when you text somebody you almost you want to hear back from them right away like you know you have your phone why you, it's phone culture is really annoying it's very bad and, and we're right in the beginning of it people don't realize i know it's cell phones have been around like 20 years and really smartphones since like 2000 so we're still in its infancy and we're still like it's still like those are our babies you know right. like we pay actually it. i read a study that people will lend out their car before they even consider letting you touch their phone oh yeah They'll lend you their car. Here, take my car. It's twenty, thirty thousand dollar car. But your don't whole touch life's my phone. connected here. All your contacts, right. all your work stuff. It, it, you, she can. If I was dating her, I'd want her to tell me. Yes, it, I'm, I'm, if I like this girl, I'm texting and calling her all the time. I'd like to know if I'm doing something to upset her. And it's just, it's not what you know. This is old school, right? It's not what you say; it's how you say it. Right. It's how you approach it. It's like, you know, I, I'm really enjoying this. Best Valentine's Day I ever had. I'm, I'm enjoying so much the time I'm spending with you. Just you think maybe when we're together, maybe we could just give the phone a rest just for a little while. You know, right. I understand your work's on there and your kids. I get that, you know, and if you want to keep it on, vibrate in your pocket in case your daughter needs to reach you or something, I understand that. But for the moment, you know, let's, we don't get to, you know, I cherish our time together. So maybe if we just give it a little bit of a rest, I, I'd really appreciate it. It'd mean a lot to me. And she doesn't sound as attached to her phone or she'd be like, oh, I understand. Like I'm always, so uh, again. Well, maybe she's being considerate and right. like not, and not using her phone when she's with him. I, I'm, Guy, really, women are usually more considerate than guys, I guess. Nah, more, that's not more, true. No, but. That's I, all, I, everybody's individual. But um, I, I'm going to go with, he probably does it without even knowing it. He's just doing it, just doing it. It's, it's He's just, obviously into her. So, and 
If you don't yeah. tell a guy what's bothering you, he's not going to know. That's what I wanted to hear you say, because you've said this before on other shows, and yeah. I wanted to hear that come out of your mouth again. If, if you don't lay it out. Because, you, you know, back in the day, we had the other ladies in here. It's like, yeah, yeah, dump him, blah, blah, blah. Like, no. Like, you have to communicate. Communication, lack of communication kills all relationships. Right. Because everybody's like, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want this. I want my best behavior. No, just be yourself and just be respectful and, and don't attack. Right. And, don't, and what's going to happen with her is if she doesn't talk about it, she's going to build up a resentment and, and, and anger and then she's going to blow up at him. He's like, crazy lady, I'm out. Right, 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 right. And don't right, do right. that. Just have a conversation. Be nice about it. You know, he's obviously into you. So right. he wants to make you happy. He just doesn't, he doesn't know it's a problem because you haven't told him. It just it, next time he reaches for it, you know, stab him with a fork and say, "No phone for you." Yeah, that—that's a great idea. That's how I do it. I'm very direct. <laughs> and how's that going for you? Not very well. Yeah, okay. okay, I'll read this while while you take a drink. Dear Sweet. one, tough mother, whatever happened to the appropriate and polite being in public? Wherever I go, all I hear all day long is people dropping f bombs. My son is three, and I don't want him exposed to that language, but it's everywhere. We're standing in the market today, and a sixty-year-old ish woman was in line talking to her friend it's effing ridiculous the price we pay for food i swear she dropped the f-bond more times than i've heard anybody else do it recently are you kidding lady what's wrong with you can't you see me standing here with my kids is what i wanted to say i want to say something to people but i don't know what to say and i tick myself off when i don't at the end help tia this is easy just move away from the east coast oh yeah just move yeah, say very easy. Pack it up and go. <laughs> People only curse in the East Coast, the Northeast. Yeah. Anywhere else, you're fine. Oh, no, yeah. no. You know what? I, actually, Tia, just so you know, I was I don't know store. where she lives. So I'm, I'm just joking. Right. But, yeah. but we do, it, I, from my travels, it tend, the, the language seems to be a little rougher uh, on the Northeast yeah, than I other places I've been to. But um, I was in the store with, um, who was I in the store with? I guess it was my grandsons when they were younger. And somebody was like ripping the F-bomb right and left. And I kind of looked at them, and they were like maybe six and eight or something. And I'm like, stop. You know, I wanted to say something to the, the person, kids were too. Doing, kids were saying No, that? no, oh. no, no. The p- people around the kids. And I'm like, and, but they're looking at each other laughing, like snickering a little bit. Because it was like an, a not noticeable. Like, and I wanted to be like, are you, you can't at all express yourself without dropping the f-bomb it seems like you're what are you not educated enough to speak i don't understand yeah i i took my 10 year old to the y to play basketball and there's a bunch of middle school kids there and they're just tr- cursing up a storm middle school middle school middle school kids were there yeah wow at the y just cursing up a storm yeah. did you say something nah it just I, it would have if it was more directed toward him or around him but he seemed kind of unfazed by it and was just doing his thing so i didn't want to yeah no just a quick story. I, I, not that I'm a, if I had to, I would. It just didn't feel like necessary yeah, at that time. So she's in line and there's these ladies in front of her dropping the F-bomb and with her kids. Should she have said something? Uh, it just depends how loud is it. Are the kids hearing you? You know, do you make eye contact? You know, is it worth even starting up? You don't know who you're, you know, I always, I go by, don't ever mess with people because you never know who you're messing with. Even though some older lady, she gets, you know, you don't want, you don't want to deal with crazy people. You right. just, you know, you this is a fact of life, and if your kids end up saying it or whatever, you just let them know that it's not appropriate. You don't say it. They're going to hear it. But you can't shelter your kids and live in a bubble forever. So I would say, you know, if it's directed toward you or it's really overly blatant, I mean, you could walk your supermarket, walk away. It's not. You have to pick your battles, and that's not one. To in my opinion, in my mind, it's it's become so big a part of everyday language. 
especially like I, you said, I, I mean, I've lived all over the world, but and, and late earlier in my lifetime. So now I've been on the East Coast for a long time, but it's a very big part of everyday language here. So do, do I like it? No. Do I want to say something? Yes. But again, you always tell me crazy gets crazy. So, you know, you have yeah. to you have to face crazy with crazy. I don't want to do that. I don't want to no. get in a scream battle with any 60-plus-year-old woman or 50 or 40 or 30 or 20-year-old over F-bomb. I mean, I, I just turn my kids around. Well, may I, I might say this to my kids. I may go, you know what? That's not appropriate language. Let's, let's step back here a little bit. It's a good idea. Use it as a learning tool. To my kids, I'd say. Sure. And hopefully loud enough for them to hear it, and maybe they'd get it, but I doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. yeah, you never know, but uh, nah. Or just kick her in the face. Yeah, because crazy gets crazy, like Seth says. So yes. that's, that's definitely one thing you'd want to do. So uh, <laughs> no, don't do that. Headlines and headaches, as well as um, tough mother mail, is brought to you by um, Cobalt American Cobalt Aquafarms. Yes, they have delicious, delicious arapaima. It's a fish. It's it's amazing. It's all white. It's buttery. It's no fishy smell. Um, it's the mm. way we like it. It's, we're really excited about the fact that it's so um, eco-friendly because uh, it has no like antibiotics, no vaccines, hormones, chemicals, heavy metals, are uncontrollable environmental factors. And uh, let me tell you something. Again, I've been there and I've said this every show. It's amazing. It's clean. It's delicious. And I, I love it. And I, anybody can order it, just so you know, because somebody asked me, can I just order this sure on the can. phone? You may. You can order a pound of it, or you can be a restaurant and order 10 pounds of it, or you can be a wholesaler and order 500 pounds of it, whatever you want to order. Please call them. Again, their number is 973-300-0485, 973-300-0485, fresh from the farm to your table, never frozen. That's what I like about it. Never, I think fish lose something when you freeze them. I think it loses so. I think something. certain seafood uh, freezes better than others. Like the, I think we talked about octopus earlier. Actually, yeah. from reading about it, it, it it works well frozen. Oh, okay. So it depends. I think it depends on the seafood. But this is fresh, fresh from the farm. No, if you have to, to choose, table. if you get like, yeah, take it right out of the, out of the farm and right on my table, I'm good. And you know, I mean, you you can go there and this is fresh from the farm. You could go there and see the farm if you want to I'm, pick it up. I'm going. Yeah, I'm taking you. Fine. So American Cobalt Aquafarms, thank you for being our sponsor. And today's Mother Says is being happy is very personal, a very personal thing. It really has nothing to do with anyone else. And you have to think about that. Being happy is very personal. It's it's your gig, dude. People, it, you can't rely on other people to make you happy. Right. You cannot rely on other people to make you happy. And it's not their responsibility. So it's your responsibility to make yourself happy. So do so. Have a great time. And we'll see you next week. We have another huge show. I can't wait. And Seth, have a great week. You too. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. 
See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.